Hi everyone, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 33. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for The Rock Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send us an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Are you guys here and ready for the show? Both of those things. This entity is... Alrighty, everybody is on board, so we'll jump straight to our first question from Maxwell, who sent his question in via email. And Maxwell asks, As I am trying to develop my own sort of beginning ritual to my day, could you describe the details of your own personal morning offerings? What is it that you focus upon? Any prayers, quotes, or Law of One material? How have they evolved throughout your spiritual path? And perhaps Jim could delve more into the practices during and after the raw contact and the evolution of it up to and now after Carla's passing. And I think that that question is perfect for Jim. (laughs) Logical you are. Um, Carla started her morning offerings when she was 12 years old. So she did them until she passed away at almost 72 years old, almost 60 years she did them. She was a precocious child as far as, well, a lot of things go, but especially the spiritual pursuits. And uh, I think that came from having the experience of seeing Jesus in her magic garden when she was between the ages of two and five. So when I met Carla, she had already been doing the uh, morning offering for quite a while. We didn't start doing them together until after the raw contact. In fact, we started doing them right after we were married in 1987. So I'm relatively new to them. I've only been doing them for 29 years. And uh, so I couldn't tell you anything about what we did or she did really before the raw contact or during because, uh, like I say, she did that as a personal part of her morning. Uh, before I even saw her in the morning, she would have that done. But I can tell you what we did together and what I've done since. Uh, of course, the Bible was always a part of her morning offering. And she would always read one reading from the Old Testament and go sequentially through, you know, start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then uh, a reading from the New Testament as well. Uh, Her favorite, of course, is the New Testament. There's a a lot less uh, wrath and vengeance in the New Testament. So, uh, but she felt like the, you know, the whole Bible deserved attention. So we always uh, made that our our goal was to read one reading from the Old Testament and one from the New. 
then when we uh, started doing it together, uh, I guess the first thing we would do in the morning would be to um, have a little time of meditation. And uh, then there would usually be a, a little prayer, um, maybe the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me instrument of thy peace, starts out like that. And then we do the reading from the Bible. And then after the raw contact, of course, we would read from the Law of One, in which I've continued to this day. We'd usually read a page or two. I've varied over the years between uh, one pages to four pages. And then we would all read from another book of inspirational nature. We read a lot of different books over the years. Uh, I imagine we probably read a couple of books a year, reading just uh, two pages a day, say. So um, right now, I'm reading uh, Messages from the Masters, which is uh, Dr. Brian Weiss. Uh, he is the fe- one of the fellows is in the uh, Life Between Lives uh, regression hypnosis movement, discovering what we do in between our lifetimes in the way of meeting our guides and the Council of Elders and getting together with our spiritual families and making plans for future incarnations and so forth. Uh, so the last couple of years, we, uh, Carl and I both focused on, on that information. We found it quite fascinating. Then we would always um, finish up the morning offering with uh, another prayer. Um, usually the Lord's Prayer would be the one we'd finish it with. But uh, Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. <laughs> Carla would sing a hymn. Uh, she had been in Episcopal Church Choir since she was four years old. And uh, she knew a lot of hymns. But we would always use the hymnal, the 1982 Episcopal Church hymnal. Since she passed, and I not being much of a singer and certainly don't know any hymns and can't read music, um, I deal with that by singing what we, we did right at the end. Right at the end of her life, she couldn't see well enough to read the book. So we sang, Row Your Boat. Think about it. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. It's a very metaphysical song. So uh, I sing that. And uh, I also sing a little song that she liked at the end of her channeling, uh, I Am the Circle and You Are Healing Me. So that's my uh, adaptation of the hymn. And then, of course, the the Lord's Prayer to finish it off. Um, Nowadays, my morning offering usually takes about an hour. I try to meditate about half an hour. And the readings take the other uh, half hour. um, It's very meaningful to me. We found it uh, to be like the foundation stone of the day. If for some reason, say we were traveling and we're, we weren't able to get it done because we had to get up early and go someplace, it just felt weird. Uh, so I really highly recommend some type of morning offering. If it's just as simple as uh, meditation or prayer or, or reading something of inspiration, uh, just to get you focused on the day, to get you pointed in the right direction. Uh, I think that's what the, the morning offering really does. Carla pretty much called it the rule of life. Um, it went with other things, too, because we always had a, an evening offering, well, not an offering, but an evening meditation, the Gaia meditation for uh, Mother Earth. And then throughout the day, uh, we'd try to momentarily stop and think uh, about the spiritual quality of the moment. Uh, she would use something like the doorbell ringing to remind, or the telephone ringing to remind her to stop for a moment and give a little prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe her prayer would be something as simple as just Jesus. Um, you know, what you do doesn't have to be elaborate or fancy or um, traditional. It's whatever has meaning for you and to get you thinking about your spiritual journey. Because that's why we're here. Everything else we do in this life, and we do a lot else, 
has the purpose of teaching us something about the spiritual journey. So whatever you can do to get you focused on that, to start your day, and maybe a little reminders throughout the day, I highly recommend. That's it for me. How about you, Gary? Do you have any morning rituals? Wow, that was a fantastic answer. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to create a carbon copy path of uh, Jim and Carla's, but they they do have strengths that are worthy, in my own mind, of emulation. And discipline is is uh, at the top of that list. Uh, so far as I'm concerned, they were the gold standard of um, living a ritualistic life and a disciplined life. And uh, I've always admired the way they did that, especially with regard to um, the morning offering that they almost never failed to do, except on rare occasions, like Jim mentioned, when they might be traveling or something. Um, <clears throat> if I could, uh, I would like to pattern my own life that way. <laughs> and it's, that's a long work in progress. And, and maybe one fine day that will happen. But um, <clears throat> when I can um, start my day off that way, which I do prefer and do enjoy, it basically has two parts. Um, one, read some sort of inspirational spiritual text, um, which for me for the past uh, couple years, it had been Ramana Maharshi for a little while and because um, he's about as laser focused as I've ever seen, um, <clears throat> even more so than the law of one, the law of one being a text that somewhat meanders due to the questions, though no less valuable. Ramana Maharshi, though, is about as laser focused on non-duality or unity teaching as it comes and uh there is a female in his lineage you might say he he had a student that student had a student and that two generations away um her name is gangaji <clears throat> not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but she wrote a book called you are that and it continues in that same tradition very focused on uh who and what you really are uh, in a way that's uh, wholly congruent with the law of one. So um, I'll read just a couple pages from that or I'll go over my highlights from previous pages and that kind of, that orients my mind and gets the gears going in the right direction and conditions the mind and and then I I meditate. With, I, often I will go into meditation without priming my mind but uh, I find that really helpful to read something inspirational first because otherwise my mind is by habit um, immediately consumed with the details of the day the second I wake up. So um, that's basically my my pattern. And I, I think what's important is just putting the creator at the center of it. Uh, life includes all the chakras, of course. You can't... Uh, deny or diminish the importance of red ray or orange ray and yellow ray and and uh, the bills and the household duties and and so forth but i think what's really important in a morning offering is that you're carving a space where you set aside the uh, lower chakra concerns without reducing their importance and um, create some space for the creator for your focus to be upon the creator, whether that's through contemplation or silence itself. But um, you're consciously honoring and acknowledging that connection and you're expressing, if possible, through whatever means works for you, uh, praise and devotion and thanksgiving, uh, surrendering that small 
self that usually takes center stage throughout the day and that small self's countless thoughts and needs and resting in being and uh, honoring what is the truth of what is the truth of who you are and um, I think the more that you can spend time in that space and water that garden the more that it grows the way things do that's my thoughts I don't think there's anything I could say that would um, match what either of you said because my rituals are certainly not as uh, intricate or in-depth, especially in the morning time. I admire anybody who can just wake up in the morning because <laughs> that is probably the biggest struggle of my life. Um, I am not a morning person at all. And um, I've tried meditating in the morning times and... I can't do it because I just fall asleep. doesn't matter what position I'm in. If I sit still and close my eyes in the morning time, I will be snoozing. So lately, I've switched to exercise in the morning, and I've had a really consistent ritual of exercise in the morning for about the past two and a half months. And that's worked out really well for me. It helps to wake me up. I'm still not full 100%. I can sometimes stumble when I'm exercising. But um, I guess my morning offering is uh, now an offering to my body and um, (laughs) uh, honoring my body and getting the exercise that I need. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. But my rituals are usually reserved for the evening times. I feel uh, the meditation in the evening serves me a lot better, helps me to quiet the noise of the day and bring me back into the center. And uh, pretty much throughout the day, uh, like Jim was talking about, um, Carla would use signals. I use little signals too, and especially just opportunities. Uh, One of my big ones is when I take a drink of water or get up to take a drink of water, I will... um, pay special attention to what I'm doing and uh, be thankful for the water and then just take a few moments after I drink the water to center myself and look out the window and just uh, let the illusion dissolve for just a moment and try to feel connected to everything. But um, I've got no rituals as uh, regular or um, intricate as Jim's morning offering and it sounds like it's a, a great cornerstone to start the day. And I just wish I could wake up in the morning to do something like that. Any more thoughts for uh, Maxwell's question there? Not for mine. No. Okay. Thanks for the question, Maxwell. Uh, actually, Jim, did, were, were there any rituals that you guys did during the raw con- Besides the ones directly related to the raw contact, but as a group, did you, Don and Carla, get together to do any sort of special meditation or rituals or anything? No, not really. Uh, we had a lot of meditations in the house. You know, we had usually during the week there was somebody coming over to learn to channel. And then on uh, the weekend there was the uh, regular meditation that we continue now on Saturdays. And then there was the raw contact at the beginning, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. two times a day. And right. So <laughs> we, didn't, we were doing rituals as it was. And then when we s- slowed down the raw contact to one maybe every week or three every two weeks uh, we still let that be enough we um, we pretty much when we hung out together we tried to um, just relax and and let our vibrations kind of hum <laughs> so you cool. watch uh, watch something like mash you know get get some <laughs>, laughs going yeah so uh, no we didn't do too much meditating together other than what was connected with the actual raw contact or the other meditations in the house yeah I'm sure that's enough ritual for 
three people. <laughs> Our next question comes from Klaus uh, via email who asks uh, sort of a two-part question. So we'll do the first part uh, first. How can a service to self-orientation be maintained in between lifetimes when the veil isn't there? Gary, do you have an answer to that question? Mm, and I wouldn't call it an answer. I have <laughs> um, <clears throat> some beginning thoughts because uh, what stumbles me is that this is one area where I would definitely turn to the expert which in my mind is uh, Ra in this case and um, I had, so far as I'm aware Ra didn't speak definitively to this point so that leaves me at kind of a disadvantage. I thought I remember us approaching this question some time ago and I thought if memory serves that Austin had come made some good headway but um, anyways to my thoughts there's um, one Q&A in particular 70.17 where Ra says is Ra talking to Don says I perceive a basic miscalculation upon your part in that time space is no more homogeneous than space time it is as complex and complete a system of illusions, dances, and pattern as is space-time and has as structured a system of what you may call natural laws. <clears throat> um, so there Ra speaks about um, the non-homogeneity of time-space, um, indicating that there are different, you might say, places in time-space, different geographies, um, realms i'm not sure what language spatial language i should be using meaning that uh there are i extrapolate from that to mean that there are uh negative portions of time space and positive portions of time space that that also is a polarized environment but i understand where class is coming from because time space is spoken of in the confederation philosophy as this place is this portion of the universe where um, either there is no veil, the veil is lessened and um, significantly. And, and the truth of oneself shines forward a lot more clearly, often for the first time for an entity who did not see that truth during the incarnation. So if, if the truth is more apparent, um, then how could there be a service to self which is predicated upon the veil? predicated upon the truth not being apparent and uh i'm not so sure except to say that that time negative time space environment um must be some kind of continuation of the work done on within the veil on planet earth and i turn it back to austin yeah it's a tricky question uh jim do you have any thoughts I believe I'm correcting uh, what I remember from what Ross said about where the veil is eventually completely lifted. I think that is at the end of the fourth density. Uh, there is a whole lot less veil throughout the fourth density, but I believe there are still some veiling properties. I think the most significant thing, though, that I can think of concerning the negatively oriented entity is that it's based, the negative path is based upon separation. And as Ross said uh, in another portion of the material, what is the first separation, self from self? That was when Don was asking about whether uh, Himmler, as a negative entity, ever made contact with his higher self. Well, apparently he did not, and no negative entity does, because they do not seek anything, any advice, 
or direction outside of themselves. They are self-contained as far as they are concerned, and they have the information that they need, and that is to uh, manipulate and control all those about them. They see the Creator as everywhere, but the Creator, uh, in order to be reached and become uh, one with, uh, there needs to be this negative path followed. And the Creator, as Ross said, blinks neither at the light nor the darkness. Uh, both entities have the ability to proceed in the uh, evolution throughout the densities up to mid-sixth density. So when the uh, negative entity gets into the time-space portion, like Gary said, there is a negative time-space as well, I'm sure that they continue what they've been doing on Earth in the physical. They continue their attempts at domination and control of gaining power for themselves, of uh, putting the universe in order. So um, I don't know, um, I do know that when um, Dr. Weiss and Dr. Newton and others in the field of life between lives hypnotherapy speak about the types of entities that they have encounter in the life between lives regressions, they don't speak of any negative entities. So that leads me to believe that they're dealing only with the positively oriented or the potentially positively oriented in positive time space. So that there is very likely a place where the negative entities go and they're uh, not interested in communicating with you. <laughs> so uh, that's about what all all got. How about you, Austin? Yeah, I pretty much ran along the same path as both of you did. I think that the key aspect to remember is that the service to self path is a legitimate path to the creator. And to those of us on the positive path, there can seem to be this sort of fundamental wrongness about the negative path. We can't really imagine that an entity could look upon others with the knowledge of unity and persist in the types of activities that we associate with the negative path. Uh, but consider that just a simple recognition of unity doesn't necessarily imply an attitude towards that unity. For those on the positive path, it seems kind of natural to see the unified creation and see that it implies an equality, implies love and connection, cooperation and community. But I imagine that unity implies something different for the negative entity. And unity being used as sort of a meta term here because like Jim was saying it's a path of separation and separation is kind of the opposite of unity but they might still recognize that all things are the creator and all things are connected and they might see that connectedness and say look all of this is the creator and that creator is me and I have the right to dominion over this and so even with this knowledge and uh, perception that all things are essentially one they can still have this attitude towards that that puts them on top of the one that puts them as the central point of that one and everything else is just an expansion of themselves and that they have a right to do uh, to that expansion of themselves as they wish so uh, in that regard, the veil, it might be necessary to first adopt that mentality, but I imagine that once that choice is made to see the creation as this domain that can be conquered, a domain of the self, then that is the perspective that uh, persists through into time-space. And... Um, you can still be in time space and recognize the interconnectedness of it, but then plan a life that will help further your dominion over that creation. And uh, Gary and Jim both talked about 
uh, a negative time space. And Ra does uh, talk at one point about um, how in time space, uh, like things attract other like things like magnets. I think it's in the discussion about a positively oriented entity being displaced into negative time space. And all they experience is darkness because uh, there is nothing in that negative time space to attract to them. And so they don't see anything. But I'd imagine for a time space like maybe on Earth that uh, has both positive and negative aspects, the negative time space, all of the negatively polarizing entities sort of end up there and then they are surrounded in, in an environment of other like things that might help them to uh, continue their polarization from that standpoint. And positive entities, like Jim was saying, with the Life Between Lives investigations, end up in a place that seems wholly positive because they are positive and they attract the positivity to them in time space. So that is my best guess. It's a great question that I wish could be clarified by Ra, but uh, we have to do the best we can without Ra. Um, Maxwell's next question. Do either of you have any further thoughts on that one? I uh, really... Sorry, go ahead. real quickly. Um, <clears throat> I liked a lot what you said, and uh, it reminded me I had seen there's a, a Bring Forth member named Anagagi. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, who has a really sharp mind, and he wrote uh, similarly, saying that the negatively on Bring Forth that is the negatively polarized are just as aware of the ultimate nature of reality and variety of ways in which you can view the self and creator. As the positively polarized are, the only difference is they simply love or favor illusion more than they love truth. And uh, Ra echoes this elsewhere when they're talking about... Um, in 80.15, uh, they're talking about the tarot, and uh, they say, The service to self-adept will satisfy itself with the shadows and... Grasping the light of day will toss back the head in grim laughter, preferring the darkness. So this gets back to Klaus's question about how can negative polarity exist or continue if they are aware of the greater truth? Um, and it seems that once service to self is really committed to, and especially as the entity develops, um, they may or do become aware of the actual nature of unity. And this is also what Austin was talking about, but um, and reject it or just um, prefer their own methods of dominion and control and putting things into the order that they prefer. And that's all. Thanks. How about you, Jim? Oh, I think I've said everything I could think of. All righty. Uh, well, Klaus has one more question, which we probably know less about. Uh, he asks, and if you will, how does the harvest process look like for a service to self entity? Any ideas, Jim? Well, I think it probably looks a whole lot like it does for the positive entity because what you have to do in order to be harvested is to be able to welcome and enjoy the increased level of light. The light in the fourth density is more dense. There's more energy in it, more information in it. So your system has to be able to accept it. And if you're a harvestable entity on either the positive or negative path, then it's simply a matter simply a matter of your system being able to welcome and enjoy that increased intensity of light. So, you know, if there are steps to walk, there are steps of light. I think both entities could very well walk the very same steps and find themselves at the 
when the light becomes too glaring, then they would step aside, and wherever they step aside is their next incarnation. And if if it's uh, a fourth density, then they take off from their fourth density and find themselves a fourth density, positively or negatively oriented planet, as the case may be. Gary, what do you think? Yeah, likewise, um, something, as Austin said, I know even less about, not that I knew much about the first one. So uh, in 48.7, Ross speaks to the process of harvest and how it is anomalous in terms of what happens after death, because it only happens this one time at harvest. And what's anomalous about it, and as they describe in 48.7, is that... um, after death, the entity will transfer its indigo ray body into violet ray manifestation. And this is for the purpose of gauging the harvestability of the entity. And Ra doesn't uh, distinguish whether there's a difference between uh, positive or negative harvest. So I'm left to presume that it's the same for both polarities. And Ra goes on to say, after this anomalous activity has been carefully completed, the entity will move into indigo body again and be placed in the correct true color locus in space-time, and so on and so forth. So, um, sounds like both uh, entities go through this process, and like Jim said, it, you know, so far as we know, it looks much the same for both polarities, and then they um, get sorted out to where they need to go, whether that's a fourth-density negative environment or fourth-density positive environment. And there is actually one part where uh, Ra makes a distinguish makes a distinction between th- that process, between the violet ray assessment of the positive and how the negative experiences that. And that is in 34.16, uh, Ra says, in assessing the harvestable fourth density negative, the intensity of the red as well as the orange and the yellow ray is looked upon quite carefully as a great deal of stamina and energy of this type is necessary for the negative progression. It is it being extremely difficult to open the gateway to intelligent affinity from the solar plexus center. This is necessary for harvest in fourth density negative. And slightly before that, they talk about how it's the uh, violet ray used in assessing the positive uh, harvestability because it is the overall balance of the positive entity that is used to accept the light. Uh, And then they go on to say that the violet ray is not necessarily used for the negative harvesting, but the red, orange, and yellow, as it is their ability to use those energy centers that helps them use the light of the creator. So there's that little distinction, but I think it's pretty much like you guys said. They walk the same steps of light. It's just... Uh, their methods and their energy body, their energy system, the way that it is utilizing that light is what determines how much they can handle. Alrighty. Well, I think that actually uh, brings us up to our time for today. Uh, Any thoughts for the listeners, Jim? Yeah, well, thank you for listening, folks. We appreciate you being out there and, uh, Asking us questions as well. If, if you have any more questions, please send them in. We live on your questions. And doesn't matter how hard they are, we don't mind saying we don't know the answer. So just send us whatever you can. And it'll be two weeks before we see you again. So know that we love you. And we uh, hope that you all are helping to love each other and bring each other home. 
You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday. Uh, afternoon and have a wonderful week and we will talk with you then.